pleasure to speak with Nicole Denholder, founder of Next Chapter, a company focused on education and connections for founders looking to grow their businesses. Nicole is a wonderful advocate for new business ventures and startup entrepreneurs, but aside from just being nurturing, she's also practical, encouraging startups to focus on growth and revenue. With her background in financial services consulting with big four firms, Nicole has helped companies IPO across the world, and she's able to look at what it takes to be successful from a top-level view. For founders looking to launch a startup and to scale, stay tuned for this wonderful discussion. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the next episode of A Founder's Life. I'm really pleased to have Nicole Denholder on the show today. Nicole Denholder is a founder of Next Chapter Rates, a company focused on education and connections for founders looking to grow their business. And she's also co-founder of Sophia, a company um, that develops financial education for women. Nicole, thanks so much for coming on the show. I'd love to hear a little bit about your founding story. Could you tell us your, your, how it all got started? Mm, great. Um, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm, I used to work at PricewaterhouseCoopers for a very long time, which I enjoyed. Um, I was in the US IPO space. And, you know, after my first child, I was looking for a change, in all honesty. And I was really interested in the way that women access capital for their businesses, you know, having been in, um, you know, the IPO space, meeting a lot of businesses, you know, just having a sense of, um, you know, what the statistics were around funding, I noticed that women were really, um, were not receiving that much funding, right? It's about 3% of funding goes to all female teams. It's around 11 to 12% goes to teams with one female founder. And then if you look at the numbers, they're dramatically different in terms of the amounts that women raise, um, how quickly they raise, how much money they start with, you know, women bootstrap with more, they raise slower, they raise less. And so I was very interested in building a business that addressed that issue. So I think in one way, I'm slightly different. I wasn't just trying to sell one thing. What I was trying to do is understand why this was happening and how could I build a solution around that. Um, and that's kind of the, what kind of kicked off the whole journey I've been on. Great. I mean, funding is like the, such an important part of a business. It's the lifeblood of mm. starting anything. And that's one of the biggest obstacles that people have when they start a new business venture. How do you um, how did you get your fundraising start and how do you suggest other entrepreneurs get started with a fundraising journey? Well, I think it's really important to think about it from day one because we have a tendency to bootstrap as long as possible. And it really is understanding that there's lots of capital options out there for you. So I think we all default to, I need to get equity, um, you know, you get an equity investor, but you know, there's great grants out there. There's rewards-based crowdfunding, um, you know, there is um, revenue-based financing. So there's there's other options. And I think what we really talk about is, um, you know, early on, particularly on funding, and I can bring this to a broader discussion around your business, but, you know, you really do want to think about, okay, what are, you know, once you've got product market fit in place, once you've kind of got a product going or a service, it's like, okay, well, what are my key goals? What are the drivers to get to those goals? And to achieve that financially, what do I need to be, have in place? And this is where bringing in the commercial mindset um, and understanding of your financials is so important. So early and aligning that with what money do I need to to grow the business? Um, 
and not just looking at what's my revenue going to be, but also what teams do I need to put in place to build that and valuing your own time because, um, you know, understanding what you're good at, but what could you bring in to have people do with you that could really push the business forward? I think that's that's where you need to think about just in the early stage about funding is is some of those early questions um, around the growth of the business. And there's so many kinds of investors out there. I mean, you mentioned different funding types, and there's also different mm. investor personalities. Yes. What what should a new founder really look for when they're assessing the investors that they approach? Well. You know, the worst thing um, a founder can say when they're looking for funding is they're looking for anyone, right? Because that um, is going to waste their time quite a lot and shows they haven't really thought about, okay, where am I taking this business strategically? And, and, and also doesn't understand the investor mindset, which is really important for founders to try and put that hat on. Because, you know, you've got to think around um, you know, investors in terms of what geography they're focused on, what industries they're focused on, what ticket size they make, because otherwise it's very easy to talk to a lot of people that may not be the right person for you to be talking about. And A, that wastes your time. But secondly, you then might be getting feedback on your business from people that aren't really relevant to you at that point. So it's really about being, um, you know, doing your research, being quite focused around where you think those investors could be. Um, I know certainly in the early stages when we talk about angels, there's angel networks around um, that you can leverage. But individual angels, you know, it's around um, obviously connecting into your network to find them. But trying to be very clear around what you're looking for, even when you're looking at to talk to networks around what type of investors, if they're helping you source them. Yeah, if you're pre-product, if you're just starting out on day one, what are the kinds of investors or, or, or people you should be talking to compared to, you know, a company that has already a product in the market, already has revenue? You know, what are the main differences mm. in, in those different stages? Well, I mean, just on a general discussion, you know, obviously some businesses have specific needs depending on the background of the founder and what they're building and how fast they want to go. But generally you are looking at those if you're looking more on the equity play, you're looking more at the family and friends or early stage angel investors um, who believe in you as a founder, believe in what you're trying to achieve. Um, you know, you'll probably know them or meet them through a warm referral because at that stage, you don't have the numbers effectively to kind of justify the investment in many ways. But what you are saying is, I know there's a problem. I have a great solution. Um, At that point, hopefully you've got some product market fit in play or you're working towards that to show this is why I think I can scale and grow this. Um, And so I think when it's just you pre-revenue, kind of pre-starting out, it's that traction. So product market fit doesn't have to be revenue. It can be different forms of traction that you can show in terms of user feedback, the right user feedback, not friends, <laughs> you know, um, you know, in terms of pre-orders or engagement on social media, you know, um, different data points around building your mailing list, getting feedback from them. So showing that there is interest in your product um, is really important because that's what angels are firstly looking at you. And if you can say, look, I feel confident because of this, that's a great place to be starting when you're very early on. Now, Moving on to building businesses, you know, translating your own personal values and visions and expectations into a functioning business can take a lot of time and and effort, Mm -hmm. right? How important is a company's culture and how do you establish that? 
I think it's very important. I think we've seen that in the tech community more and more over the past few years. There's been, you know, some stories and scandals that have come out that have been quite disappointing to hear. And, and, you know, if a business is growing quite fast, it's so important to get that culture down as early as possible, which is always earlier, easier to do if you have a smaller team. I think there's some, you know, once you get to that kind of 20 to 50 people, you start losing some of that connectivity, right? So if you can lay the groundwork early on with, you know, what are the values of your business and, and making sure people know that, that you talk about them in, um, in your team meetings, you know, they're clear about them when they're actually engaging with customers or partners um, and just bring that into the way that you expect them to interact, I think is really important because actually, you know, culturally, if you're not hiring like for like, I don't mean it like that, but if you're actually building that in from day one in the way you're hiring and you show that in the way you reflect your interactions, that then will play out as you hire more senior people and they hire on. Um, and that needs to be built strong, as I said, because as you start going into different locations with lots more people, you're dependent on others to be holding up that culture for you and, and bringing that to new employees. Makes sense. Makes sense. And especially as you bring in more people, it just starts to become more difficult to manage them all. And yeah. in addition to managing people, you're also trying to grow the business, right? So you're growing people, you're growing the business, growing customers. You know, one question I have is when you started your business for the first time, what were the strategies you used to get the word out to market your business? So, um, Really, when I started, I didn't have a lot of background in this. You know, I came from a corporate space. I was very, I mean, I launched with a crowdfunding platform, which was very new in Asia. It was a very new concept globally. You know, crowdfunding's only been around since 2012. Um, so I actually spent a lot of time at events, personally, talking to people. Um, you know, really, I started that in trying to build connections. And this was even pre-launch. I was out there talking to a lot of people about this is what I'm thinking doing and really building up that network around what next chapter as a crowdfunding business would look like. So that when I was moving towards launch, I'd already kind of had these networks I could tap into, ask them to promote for me, ask them to support, um, to really get the word out there. So from day one, we weren't so focused on, say, you know, paid advertising and things like that because um, there was still this education element around crowdfunding, what it was, who it would be good for. Um, and really, we, we found that a lot of people were interested in coming to us as customers. But and this is where it kind of has driven the whole journey of Next Chapter um, in terms of looking at other funding, because some of them were coming to us but didn't understand what crowdfunding was. We'd explain what it was and recognize it wasn't suited for them. So then they would be saying, well, I do need funding. What are my other options? And that's how the business has grown over time to be, you know, focused on programs around other different funding, partnerships around other different types of funding. Um, we, you, you know, really trying to help them understand that, okay, if this one doesn't work, how do I go to the next one? Makes, makes sense. And, you know, there's so much discussion nowadays about communities and especially as yeah. it pertains to companies and startups. What is a community to next chapter and how do you build that among your uh, potential customer base? I think it's a community is often driven by what's the glue. You know, you can get a lot of people together, but is it what creates that sense of community? And often that's because there's some common factor 
that unites someone, right? Um, and so in the sense for us, our community is really driven by um, two factors. One, women who are actively looking for some form of support for their business, um, primarily through some form of fundraising, but actually often even connections. So, so you know, that's built in. And then secondly, I think our community has also grown because of a recognition that women are underfunded. Um, the statistics play out that way. They haven't changed much in a decade, unfortunately, um, globally, if you look at the, the the numbers there. And so I think there's also an element of how can we contribute to the systematic change that needs to happen in the ecosystem to support more women getting funded. So I think we kind of have those two layers around that immediate need by a funder building out the community there, but also people are interested in contributing to change um, comes into play as well. And when it comes to starting a business, you know, there's so many different aspects. We talk about community, marketing, finance. In your estimation, what are some of the skills and qualities of a good entrepreneur? Okay, so I think willingness to just have a go <laughs> is the first one. Um, you know, because you do have to pivot. I think there's flexibility around building a business because you do start with an idea, you go out, do your research, you're creating solutions. Some will work, some won't. So I think that ability to be honest with yourself and say, this isn't working, what else can I be doing? And continually tweaking that because um, as you get to know your customer better, you will also understand kind of how do they interact with you in a way that you can enhance your product. So I think that continual iteration is really important. I think, um, you know, getting the right people around you. And certainly when you're a startup, you might need to depend on consultants or, um, you know, people that, you know, are part-time and it's really being very clear of what you want from them. That communication I think is quite key because A, you're spending money for a service to support your business. So you need to really set some um, requirements, I think, around what you expect of them. Now, you may not know a lot about marketing. That's okay. But so you need to drive them. And really around all of this is KPIs. You should be also always talking when you're talking to, I think, employees when you're not really sure, maybe you don't have the experience in that area and that's why they're coming on. Set some KPIs or expectations around, uh, you know, what you expect out of this relationship because I think it makes it easier for you to manage because if you've jointly set KPIs, um, that's something that you can touch upon as you're working together to see if it's working and if your business is really thriving with that relationship, I think that's um, certainly what I would do. And, you know, talking to your customers as much as possible. You know, I know we're, we're very much an online world at the moment, but, um, you know, the more engagement you can have, um, certainly through surveys or trying to get feedback, or picking up the phone or talking to one-to-one, I think always is really important um, in, in how you kind of grow your business. Yeah, the empathy, just understanding the needs of the customer is something I think people lack. You know, they just think, oh, I have an amazing idea for a product and they build it. But, you know, it might just be in their head, right? They've never validated it. You have to really understand the customer. And just to that point, I think there's sometimes confusion around problem solution versus product market fit. So there, there might be a very obvious problem and you might have a good sense of what the solution could be. But then drilling down into understanding what's the actual product market fit is really the next step. So I think that's where we, you know, you see a lot of founders talk problem solution. We now need to go into 
understanding your customer, understanding how the solution would interact with them. Because, you know, yes, you've built a solution, but is it right? It still may not be right, even if you've built a solution. You think it's a great solution. They don't think it's a great solution. And you may only be 10% off, but that 10% could be really important, right? And could be stopping you from scalability. So I think that's where you've got to um, move from just in problem solution to yes, I have a solution. Now, how do I get that fit? And, you know, and continually testing that early on with your customers. Um, and, and that takes time. You're not going to get that overnight. Yeah. I mean, how do you find product market fit? I know that's a big question, but I guess related to that is how would, how do you know when you have it? <laughs> yeah. I've been doing some research on this recently and there's actually, uh, um, uh, there's a, there's something called the Sean Ellis test test or something called the 40% test. And so um, uh, what you can do, and I think this is a little, this is important once you've launched as well. This test actually, I think is more important once you've launched and you're kind of reviewing and, and really checking how your customers engage with you. But um, if 40% of your customers, if you ask them, how disappointed would you be if we stopped our service or product? And if 40% said we would be very disappointed, you know, you have product market fit. So that's a general line. It's called the Sean Ellis test. So if anyone's listening, you can go have a have research and have a look at that. Um, a number of companies have used it and shared their own results. And you include that in a broader survey. But it's those types of questions of understanding if you close down today, how, you know, how disappointed would people be if if you've if you're not there any longer and the impact that you would have um i mean that's a that's a big number i think for some businesses but um it's just giving you an idea that's the type of things you should be thinking about is how engage your customers how often are they coming back to you how sticky are you um you know are they buying more every time they come are they doing word of mouth referrals um you know, do you find that the press is coming to you? Um, you know, these things, if you're getting, you know, good press, you're getting referrals, there's growth, um, you know, it doesn't have to be up that typical hockey stick, but if it's trending upwards, that's a great sign. If people are buying your product and ideally flying off the shelves, then and then you're there, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's so stressful being an entrepreneur. Just to get to that point takes a lot of effort, takes a lot of time, takes a lot of different experiments and mental health is something that all founders, you know, end up having to deal with because it can be lonely. It can be tiring. Um, it's also one of the biggest problems that we have in our world today. That's so heavily unaddressed. How do you, um, how important is mental health to you as a founder and how are you taking care of your mental health as you're growing these companies? Mm. I think it's hugely important. I mean, burnout within the startup community is well acknowledged. Um, and, and also not just burnout of you, but the impact on your personal relationships. I mean, we don't talk enough about that, that if you are wholly consumed by your business, which is easy to do, I mean, that impacts the time that you spend with partners, family, friends, you know, other, other activities you're doing right can fall by the wayside quite quickly. Um, so we might two recommendations and particularly if you're a sole founder, which, you know, a large number of women are sole founders. So you don't have someone to bounce ideas off. So I think that if you can find a mentor or an advisor or someone that you can be chatting to, to help you bounce ideas is very useful. Um, if you don't have a co-founder, if you have a co-founder, I think really trying to understand how that relationship between you, you can be honest with each other and communicate regularly so that together you don't you know, 
um, you know, put pressure on yourselves in a way that's unhealthy, right? Um, I think that's really important is having an outlet to talk about the business, feel that you can keep moving forward with it, someone you can trust to talk to. I think the second thing is time management. Um, you know, really scheduling your time. The problem is as a business owner, there is a thousand things to be doing all the time. And some of it can just be a long list of stuff, right? And I think it's really trying to understand where are you spending, actually allocating time to spend on strategy or business planning um, versus just working through a list all the time and really setting each week, what are the three top things I need to achieve daily? What are the three top things I need to achieve? You know, there's this concept of eating the frog. What's the hardest thing you need to do? Do it first. Um, bringing some of those things in because I think that helps you feel like you're on top of things. Otherwise, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. Yeah, it, it really is, especially for, you know, if you have a remote team as well. You know, how does keeping the stress um, managing the stress for your teams, you know, how, how do you do that, especially in our remote work world nowadays? Yeah. Yeah. And actually our team at the moment is probably in five locations <laughs> right now. So, I mean, I'm a bigger fan. I'm a big fan of tools like Asana where, um, you can move work and tasks into, um, you know, it's, you know, it's a, it's a tool that actually, therefore you're not sending emails and emails and emails. You're actually putting your commentary in there. You know, you're linking, you know, you're having contained tasks with contained responses. You, it's searchable. You can link it to your Google drive or other work you do. So I think it's finding, um, apps and tools that can streamline communication and streamline, uh, the way that you all work together. Um, and that you're not pinging each other, you know, all the time with back and forth messages, maybe in a messaging tool that also can, you know, can you can get lost in, right? So it, uh, to me, streamlining the communication, setting regular meeting times, having clear agendas, having tools that you're documenting in is really um, helpful. And setting deadlines, you know, it's easy in a startup world just to go, 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 go. We'll actually set some timeframes around stuff as well. Yeah, we, we've focused a lot on working asynchronously, you know, everyone being able to look back at yeah. each other's work at the time that they, they have, and it doesn't have to be at the same time. Um, one, mm. one final question. I have a couple final questions, actually, but this one is, we talked a little bit about fundraising. And on the other co side of that coin is, is a business's internal finances. And that's super important um, for any company mm. or, or startup. And it's really hard for companies to be cash flow positive from day one. But how important is a company, yeah. um, a company's finances and income starting out in, in a business and especially in our world now where there's a lot of market turmoil like what advice do you have for companies who are just going for growth or, or looking to make profits you know how are the how should people look at that i think you have to be on top of it as early as possible if not from day one but uh, it's so important because also a lot of businesses are driven by passion or some other goal. And the reality is you need to know your data because you need to have that sense of satisfaction around building a financially viable business along with hopefully achieving maybe impact goals or market goals um, is all really critical. And I think, and um, it's what I love what you do at Genie, is that having tools there that are easy to use, that are affordable, that kind of plug in. You know, I'm all about streamlining processes. That kind of comes from my old background of PwC, to be honest. Um, I feel like I've definitely brought that with me. Um, 
it's having tools and and ways to work that make that easy so you have data at your hand because actually um being able to look at your data and make decisions based on how things are going is really important and if you don't know your financials and are not looking at them regularly it's very hard for you to know if you're doing the right thing so when we talk about things like product market fit and iteration well how do you know you should be iterating if you don't really have a good sense of sales customer acquisition costs you know um, your return rates of um, you know uh, purchases how that all comes into play and using different data points and and driving down to really understand where your business is going and I think if you've got that mindset on very early, that commercial mindset about your numbers, I think you have a greater chance of success for your business. For sure. I completely agree with that. Um, my last question is is more general. What advice would you give to someone who's trying to be an entrepreneur? It's like the Nike ad, just do it. <laughs> you know, there's never a good time to start. Um, you know, it's, it's not going to be whatever you think it's going to be. It's probably not going to be like that. So don't worry, just do it. Um, and if you're successful, great. If you're not, you have learned so much, um, you know, and take that forward with you as well. So my recommendation is, is just do it because you will look back and think, why didn't I start this last year or the year before, you know, you just end up time passes too fast. So, um, I know we now talk about maybe market conditions aren't ideal, um, but you know, you can be doing your research or understand your product market fit. If you don't feel it's ideal to go right now, you can be doing other work on that business. So, um, yeah, just start. Thanks so much for the advice. It's all actionable and, and practical. And, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will appreciate that. Um, Nicole Denholder, thanks for being on the show and, uh, wish you all the best in your business N- next chapter. How can people find you or reach you if they want to get in touch? Great. So if you're a founder um, or an investor um, or a corporate looking to support female founders, because we partner with a number of corporates across Asia on that, um, look at um, actually and Europe actually is nextchapterraise.com. And if you're listening to this and you're um, someone looking to get a better understanding of your kind of financial situation as a, as an individual, um, you know, around your money basics or learn, interested in, um, an introduction to investing. Um, we do that at sophiawomen.com. So you can look there. It was great speaking with Nicole in business. Passion can burn hard, but if you keep your eye off the ball, you can end up losing focus on the important things. And one of the most important things you need to focus on is on the bottom line. Thank you, Nicole, for coming on the show and sharing your deep insights. 